our left in the back during the sermon time. A reminder that after the service, they will have their small group time. And then a little bit of plug, while they're doing their small group time, while they go to their separate rooms, there's a grace meeting in the back of that large room there after the service. Grace is uh, uh, the organization to support Christian education. So if you want more information, if you're a new family to that, go attend that thing. In here after the service, we're going to be doing a uh, video from the Global Leadership Summit. Uh, the last couple of years, we've been trying to do that to increase leadership, to understand leadership a little bit better. As they're going their way, we are going to look at Luke chapter 17. This is the beginning of a new series that we're entering with our Sheldon campus. We are one church, two campuses. They're studying the uh, same passage that we are. They're going through the same series. Over this next month, we're going to look at giving thanks recognizing that it's not just a one-day thing at the end of the month, but instead this is a lifelong process of giving thanks to our God over and over and over again. The first entry that we have in this series is from Luke chapter 17, and we're going to read about how Jesus heals 10 men with leprosy. There's a study guide right in the back of this room on that rack of papers if you'd like one. Before we get any further, we need to have his blessing. So would you join me in a time of prayer? Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, Lord. We love to be surrounded by you. We love to be healed by you. We love to be provided for by you. We love you. I pray that today especially you would allow us to not just give thanks for the things you give, but allow us to give thanks for you. God, the gifts are great. The ways that we get to live, the breath that we get to have, the ability to open our scripture, the ability to gather together, all of those things are wonderful. God, I pray that today, even more so, we would be thankful for you. God, would you open eyes? Would you open ears? Would you move hearts to recognize you and to see you in every single aspect of our lives? We pray that this time may be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. In your holy name we pray, amen. Luke 17, verses 11 through 19, and I'm going to stop on a few of the phrases and ask you to pay attention to a couple of different things. It begins at verse 11 that it says, Now on his way to Jerusalem. Immediately I want to stop and I want to remind you of a lifelong process. I want to remind you of something that I'm going to ask you to do every single day. That I believe God asks us to do every single day. Luke does this wonderfully throughout his gospel. If you look at the different stories, if you look at the different healings, if you look at all of the miraculous things that Jesus is doing, it's all sort of centering in on what's about to happen. It's really centering in on coming to Jerusalem during the Passover time. It's really centering in on the Passion Week. 
like that funnel that keeps going around and around, but gets closer and closer, closer and closer. This is what Luke is doing in a literary way. This is what he's doing as he's writing. He's dropping just a few hints at the beginning of his gospel. Oh yeah, by the way, we're going to end up in Jerusalem. By the way, we're going to end up on a hill. By the way, we're going to end up with a cross. And he just mentions those maybe every few chapters, maybe just a little bit of a glimpse. But as we get closer and closer to that cross, he's saying it now in every single story. The story right before this was Jesus talking about sin and faith and duty. The story right after this is Jesus talking about what's possible with the, with the amount of faith. And all the way through this, Luke is saying again and again, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Passion Week, Passion Week, cross, cross. He's dropping all of these hints, reminding us that this is the center of the story. The fact that Jesus Christ is so incredibly in love with you that He gave His life to die on the cross to save you from your sins. Remember that. That's where all of this series starts. That's where all of the Thanksgiving season starts. We are reminded of Passion Week time and time and time again. There is always an eye towards the cross. No matter what season we're in, no matter what series we're in, no matter how good or how bad your life looks, I ask you to always, always be looking towards that cross. As an, exemplar, as an exemplary of that, we're going to do Advent, right? And we're going to do uh, Jesus being born. And we're going to celebrate the fact that He came to this earth. And there's going to be all kinds of garland. There's going to be manger. There's going to be Christmas trees. All of those things are real. And they took place. And we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ as a baby, as a child, as one who came to the manger. And that manger is going to be setting in front of the cross. Remember, even during Advent, even during His birth, we celebrate and we remember His death. Remember that even on a Thanksgiving series, we celebrate and we remember His death. Remember that when you take this communion meal later on, we celebrate and remember His death. Over and over and over again, we have an eye towards what Jesus has done for us. That's the baseline. That's the beginning of Luke's Gospel. That's the beginning of of our thankfulness. So Jesus was traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. So they stood at a distance, which is what they were supposed to do. Leprosy at that time was some skin disease, some sort of understanding that it spread, understanding that they had to be separated from the rest of society. And so it was very obvious that these people were infected by, these, by this leprosy. It was very obvious that they had found a group, that they had found a community, even in their disease-ridden state. And what would often happen in that time, in that culture, they would sit right outside the city gates, they would sit right outside the uh, markings of the city, and they would ask people that were coming in, will you please give us some money, will you please give us some food? But it was always at a distance. I want you to pay attention to who it is that catches Jesus' eye. I want you to pay attention to who it is that causes him to stop. Who it is that causes him to pay attention to what they are going through. 
Understand that this is Jesus' M.O. Understand that this is who He hangs out with. Understand that this is us. They stood at a distance. They called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. So there's a couple things that even come through in their statement. There's a couple of understandings that they know who this is. By this time, 17 chapters in, they have heard the news of Jesus walking around. They've heard the news of Him healing people. They've heard the news of Him bringing Lazarus back from the dead. They've heard all of these incredible things that He can do. They even throw in the word Master, recognizing that He is above them. Recognizing that He is able to do more than they can do. I wonder... Just for a moment, did they really mean it? Did they really mean master? Did they really mean you are in charge of us? Or is there something going on here? And I want you to take inventory just as they may have had to do. Jesus, master, have pity on us. Think about what they are asking for. Think about what they desire. And if you know the rest of the story, we're going to think about what they really get. But at a base level, they're asking for the bare minimum. At a base level, they're asking simply for pity. They're asking for Jesus to, be, to feel bad for them. And I wonder if that's where some of us start. Maybe we haven't thought about what we ask for Him to do. Maybe we haven't thought about the byproduct of what's going to come on. Maybe we're simply wondering, does He have time for me? Does he have the attention span to look my way? Does he have the ability to do what I think needs to be done? I want you to take inventory on what you are asking for, what you have asked for, what you believe Jesus can do. And so verse 14 shows his response. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. I spent a lot of time on this particular language, on this particular command. Why the priests? Why did Jesus ask them to be involved with the religiousness of that culture? Remember, over and over and over again, he would push against the pharisaical following of the laws and all of these things that man made took over his attention. But in this instance, he asks them to go to the temple, to go to the priest, to be a part of what they were doing, to follow the laws that were in place in order to be cleansed. And I wonder if this is a little bit of, number one, just checking to see if they obey. Just checking to see if they follow what he commands. Or checking to see if, immediate they, if immediately they do like I did. Wait, the priest? Are you sure, Jesus? Are you sure you want us to go to the priests? Are you sure you want us to go to all of those people who, by the way, are going to crucify you or ask for you to be crucified in just a few days? Maybe part of it is stop asking the questions and simply follow. I think that's what I was struck by this week as I looked at this passage over and over again. Stop it! Stop asking all of those questions simply follow 
follow what he's asking you to do. Follow the belief that he loves you so incredibly much that he died for you. Just follow. Just do it. Just obey. One of them, in verse 15, when he was healed, came back and he praised God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And by the way, he was a Samaritan. There's something incredible, not only about the add-on that Luke gives there. By the way, he's a Samaritan. Because of the genealogy, because of the race division that was happening at that time, this was a big deal. As Luke was writing to the people who knew the laws, who knew the history, who knew everything going on, he was writing to people who would immediately recognize those are the people that we don't associate with. The Samaritans are the ones who had mixed generation, who had mixed race so many cultures ago, so many years ago, and immediately when they did that, they started getting looked down on by the Israelites, by the Jewish people, by those who said, well, we followed it perfectly, but you, you kind of did your own thing. So pay attention to the fact that this is pointed out. Pay attention to the fact that Luke pays this much note to who it is that came back and threw themselves at Jesus' feet. What I was struck by was maybe... Part of Luke's intention was that it was unexpected. Maybe it was unexpected that this would be the one that came back and said thank you. Maybe it was unexpected that this would be the one who would throw himself at Jesus' feet. Or maybe he's asking us to follow along. I really was struck by the posture of this Samaritan. Really struck by the ability to say that something is more important than the priest. The ability to say that something is more important than following even that command. What's really important is the posture that he ends up taking. What else can be done other than throwing yourself at Jesus' feet? What else can be done than making that the first priority? What else can be done than simply falling at the one who has given us true life? Jesus gives a little commentary on this. Verses 17 through 19. Jesus asked, We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, Rise and go, for your faith has made you well. Take note of faith and take note of well at the end there. We've studied before that the true hope, the true understanding of what it is that saves us is faith alone. It is by faith alone that we are saved. It's not by your own works so that anyone can boast. Your faith has made you well. It's not what the Samaritan did, but instead it's what he believed that saved him. I want you to understand that there is something that gets unlocked when there's this kind of faith. 
Jesus says, your faith has made you well. The other ones, yes, they were absolutely healed. They were absolutely physically fine. But there's another level. There's something that happens inside the Samaritan's soul, inside this Samaritan's heart. There's something that gets made well. And isn't that the kind of end product that we hope for? Isn't that the kind of language we want to hear from Jesus? Not only that you're fine physically, not only that this is healed, that that's healed. Yeah, that's great and that's good, but this life is only for a short moment. What I'm really looking for is to be made well by Him. There's a deeper healing. There's a deeper understanding of seeing what Jesus has done, of seeing what He is doing, of seeing what He will do when the thanks is given, when the posture is taken, when we throw ourselves at Jesus' feet, when we understand that it's about Him and what He has done, then something gets shaken loose. Something gets stirred in our hearts that makes us well with Him. We wanted to do a little kickstart for this series, for this passage even. You'll notice that there's note cards all over with pens. And you'll notice that part of what you're able to do is hopefully start thinking about your Thanksgiving. You see, this is the start of something, of a season. This is the start of something that we hope goes incredibly deep into your heart and soul like the Samaritan. But it seems that a part of the key to unlocking this wellness, part of the key to unlocking what the Samaritan tapped into is first off going back to him. Going back to Jesus. Going back to the one who has saved. Going back to the one who has healed. Going back to the one who has given what we need and simply falling at his feet. We're going to do an offering after communion, after we celebrate. But I want you to take the next moments of the movement of the service. As we sing a little bit, as we celebrate communion, I want all of that time to be sparking something in your mind, to be sparking something in your thought. What is my posture? And what am I thankful for? We're going to have use for those notes. We're going to have use for those things that you write down. But during these next moments, I really want it to be apparent that you are throwing yourself at Jesus' feet and you are thanking Him for what He has done. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit stirs in you, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder with, that's what you're writing down on that note card. Your posture and what you're thanking Him for. We're going to end the time of looking at Luke with a prayer. Then we're going to sing. Then we're going to do communion. And so, will you join me in a time of prayer? God, You have moved towards the cross on your way to Jerusalem, on your way to the cross, you heal. God, you gave physical healing to these lepers. You gave physical healing 
to the Samaritan, you've done physical healing. But then there's something more. You tell that Samaritan that he's well. God, I ask for that kind of healing. I ask for our souls to be made well with you. I ask for you to show yourself to be the one who can satisfy, to be the one who can make right, to be the one who, when this world doesn't seem okay, is okay. Father, show yourself to be our living hope. Show yourself to be the one that we can rest in. In your holy name we pray. Amen.